I'm going to be preaching out of Psalm 12. If you want to go there, you can get there before me even. I've got a couple of books I want to mention on my table back there. One is The Trail of Blood. If you haven't read it, you need to. This is your heritage. This is your Christian heritage. And you know, it goes all the way back to John the Baptist. Although I, you know, they call him John the Baptist. I don't know if that's denominationally what he was. But, but uh, he baptized the Lord. Amen. So we believe the Baptist church started way back then. Boy, I didn't get any amens for that, but oh well. Read The Trail of Blood. It'll make you appreciate what you have. And then there's another book on there that's very small called The Threefold Secret of the Holy Spirit. That book was written well over 100 years ago. My dad got a hold of that when he was 27 years old, and it literally changed his life. And it taught him what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if there's anything missing in Christianity worldwide, especially in America, it's spirit-filled Christians. You know, you moms, your kids deserve to have a spirit-filled mother. And you daddies, they deserve to have a spirit-filled daddy. One that can live without grieving the Holy Spirit. And uh, really, the bad thing about the book is, uh, in about three pages, you're going to be on your face under conviction. It's that powerful. So anyhow, um, it's a very moving, very moving book. And I'm not here to preach on that tonight. I do want to preach on the Bible. That's my, our ministry um, we, we print Bibles. We print um, all kinds, well, John Romans, New Testaments, whole Bibles, 40 languages. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's quite something. Um, going, going coast to coast, we try to raise paper by the ton. And uh, I really don't care how the money comes in. We have a little pocket folder thing it will give give a Sunday school class, they have, uh, it's got space in there for, I don't know what, 40 quarters, that makes $10, so even that, we've, we've done that before with Sunday school classes to raise money for, for paper, so we've we got to have paper to print scriptures on, and uh, today, the, one of the secretaries there at the church, we've got a couple, three of them running around there, and uh, they're kind of like I used to be when I worked at the General Motors shop, when the boss would come, I would crawl down in the pit, which they call the bottom there, and I'd roll around in the grease and put some on my face and hands so he would think I'd been busy, you know. <laughs> so I think that's how our secretaries do at our church. Probably not here. This place is busy, and it's amazing. But, but anyhow, they have to find stuff to do, and there's plenty for them to do. But they were rejoicing in the office today. A check came in from a tiny little church. One of my guys had been out there about three weeks ago, and um, did I say Arizona or New Mexico? New Mexico, a small church of about 20 people. And so Scott was out there, one of my guys, and he preached. And uh, they said, oh, well, we're going to pray about doing something. So he got home. He was driving today, and I called him. I said, can you, or I texted him. I said, can you take a call? He said, yeah. So he called me. I said, I'm going to send you a text. I want you to tell me what you think about it. And that church had sent a check. So I sent him a picture of the check, $50,000. And he said, wait, wait, i got to pull off the road here. <laughs> so what a blessing. And uh, that is, that's thrilling. That'll print well, f- half a million scripture right there. So we'll, we'll have our work cut out. I need to talk to you too, brother, about Navajo. Do they have a Navajo Bible, New Testament? Do they have anything translated? 
and can they read English? So I've got to figure out that. If they read English, then we can print English John Romans. But for church plants, we give up to 5,000 John Romans, free of charge, no shipping. And uh, so we want to do that. We want to help you out. Amen. Well, I, um, the doctor's visit today reminded me of the fellow that went to, to his doctor and he had a bad heart or something. The doctor said, listen, you need to be walking more. And he said, I want you to walk for 10 miles a day for the next six weeks. And then when you get done, call me. I'll talk to you about how you're feeling. So sure enough, he took off. He was walking 10 miles a day. Six weeks later, he called the doctor. The doctor said, how are you feeling? He said, man, I feel great. I've got all kinds of energy. I never felt this good in my entire life. They said, well, well um, come, about, come by and see me uh, tomorrow, and we'll, we'll run a health check on you. He said, well, I can't. I need a ride. I'm over 400 miles away from home. <laughs> I'm sure you saw that one come. Don, it's Don Green reincarnate, I'm afraid. But. Psalm 12, I, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's eight verses. Those of you that would like to stand with me, you can, and, and I'm just going to read. I'm not going to do the Sammy Allen thing and preach to you for 25 minutes after I read the text while you're still standing. That's what Brother Sammy used to do. He's a wonderful man of God, and he can get away with it. In um, Psalm 12, it says this. I love the way it starts. Help, Lord. <laughs> and you ever find yourself praying like that? Help, Lord. For the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. Now, I want you to get in your mind a picture of Israel in David's day. But also, maybe you can see in your mind America in our day. Help, Lord, the godly man ceaseth, the faithful fail from among the children of man. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth, at him. I don't know how many times you find the word puffeth in our King James Bible, but it's a kind of an unusual word, wouldn't you say? Puffeth. I, I looked it up. I want to know what it meant. You guys, I'm sure you have stopped by Bass Pro Shop or a fishing tackle store. And if you're like my wife, she had an app on her phone and she knew where I was every minute of every day. So she would literally call me. Now, you're, you're coming down um, Highway 27. Now, you're not quite there, but would you stop at Publix and buy this and this and this? And I said, no, you have to text it to me. I'll never remember. If it's more than two things, it's more than one thing I won't remember. But she would catch me and she caught me at Bass Pro. What, what are you doing there? What do, you, what do you need at Bass Pro Shop? I said, I really don't need anything, but I'm just stopping to look and see what these new rods look like. I want to check out these reels. And, and you know what she said over the phone? I could hear. <laughs> That's what that word means right there. You ever pass out a gospel track and try to witness somebody that, that kind of knew you? And they just kind of give you the... That's what that means. It's a, it's a, it's a derivative. Uh, it's, a, it's a word for scorn. 
someone mockingly blowing you off, really. They, they don't want to hear what you have to say. But the Lord said he would protect us and set us in safety from him that puffeth at him. So you just keep on passing out tracts, even if you get puffed at, amen? Just keep preaching to those Navajos, whether they puff at you or not. <laughs> you just keep living for God in front of your relatives, the ones that hate God. They almost hate you because they know you're associated. You know what's the problem? Your light manifests darkness. That's why the world hates us. And that's going to create a lot of puffing. Now all these words, these five verses, this is, this is like taking a 90 degree turn now. Okay? You see the context there? Problems, trouble, double talk, flattering, liars, oppressors, all that stuff. And then we're turning 90 degrees completely. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Man, we see that. But what a, what a promise. Right in the middle of, of, the, of these words. It's sandwiched in there. Regardless of what's happening around you in this world, regardless of, of the lies that you're hearing, regardless of the direction your people are going, and this nation is heading down. But we've still got a Bible. And that's why we print it. There's hope. There's help in God's Word. Lord, bless your Word to our hearts tonight. Oh, Lord, I pray you charge somebody perhaps that's weary in reading their Bible. Someone that is right now going through a dry spell. They're not, they're not able to feed. They're just seeing words on a page. I pray for that young person who has yet to finish reading their Bible through from cover to cover. God help them to be encouraged today to get that job done, to get it done and give them understanding, enlightenment, to realize the whole picture is all about Jesus Christ. I pray you're blessed for Jesus' sake and help us in thy name. Amen, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, my, my, I've got two titles, but I'm going to give you the, my, my favorite title of this sermon, and that's this. You can trust your Bible. You can trust it. I love that verse 5 where it talks about pure. This Bible is pure in that it, there's, it's, not, it's not something slick. Someone's trying to pull over on you. There's no deceit. There's no falsehoods in your Bible. It's truth from cover to cover. Uh, There's no spin on God's word. You get it right there. Nothing is hidden. David's sin is worldwide known. Anybody that reads this Bible can see. And he was the man after God's own heart. Now, why did that happen? And why did God publish that? That's a good reason that we know that man did not write this book. If he had, David would have done everything he could as the king. He would have outlawed anybody. Don't you write anything. Don't you record that. Nobody needs to know that. (laughs) But it's God's word. And God wants you to know that even the man after his own heart, David had a special relationship with God. You ever see that phrase? I think it shows up in Isaiah and somewhere else. Um, Oh, my goodness, it just slipped my mind. The, the, The sure mercies of David. It's amazing. It's all, I, I think that compares to our New Testament Christianity. David should have died. He not only committed adultery, he murdered. Those were two crimes that would cause death. But God gave him mercy. 
So it kind of goes way beyond where we are, maybe where you are. I don't know if there's any murderers in here tonight. I hope not. But, but uh, <laughs> it goes, kind of goes beyond our, our level. And God did that to show us. He can redeem. He can forgive. And he continued to use David even after that. He got right with God, showed him mercy and forgiveness. I love that verse in Romans where it says sin abounded, but grace did much more abound. Grace was way beyond, way beyond. So it's pure. It's precious. It says it's silver tried in a, as silver tried in a furnace. You know, when they cooked the silver, they boiled that silver in amazing heat. I think I, I used to melt um, lead when I was in high school to make... Um, uh, these little f- forms of words. I worked in a print shop in high school, learned a lot about it. I didn't make the actual single um, characters of lead, but uh, we would create a whole line of lead. And so you could get a whole sentence in one thing. And if you're going to use a, uh, a set over and over and over to re- reprint it many, many times, then that was the way to go. You could, you could set up a whole line at one time and pour in the lead and... Be careful you don't get the water in there because you'll have an explosion. A couple of guys did it because they thought it was cool. It wasn't too cool cleaning up. And uh, I don't know. They didn't get kicked out of school, but I know that teacher that scolded them, they probably wished they'd never even seen him because he was rough. He was rough and rough and tough as they get. But that stuff would get so hot. And then we had a little scoop that we had to just draw, drag across the top to pick up the dross. And that's how they... That's how they refined silver. They boiled it, boiled it, boiled it. All that in that uh, impurity, all that contamination, all that debris would boil to the top of that silver, and they would take that silver and clean off the dross. They wanted it to be perfectly uh, pure, and they knew it was pure when they could look into that, and it would be like a mirror it would show them their own face, their own image. And there's a lot of applications to that, which we're not going to spend time with, but that's wonderful. This word of God is that pure, that precious. It's like silver. And as you read these precious words, you know what happens? You show up, don't you? Amen. It shows up. shows up our sin, but it also shows up our redemption. It shows up all the the things that God has blessed us with. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing book. I I don't care how many times you read it. You're going to learn something every single time you read it. Yeah. We've got little five-year-olds probably running around this church, and we would not take that five-year-old and put him in a class to study trigonometry. He couldn't even spell it. We'd take him three years to learn how to spell it. But calculus, chemistry, and all that, you, you wouldn't teach that to a five-year-old. You would teach him how to read and how to count. I think one comedian said that kindergarten, the only use for it was to teach a kid how to say goodbye to his mother without crying. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty much the goal, I think. But nowadays, they're, you know, they're, they're teaching them little things, but they have to learn to read. The next year, they learn how to do some math and learn how to read and then learn how to write and learn a little bit about history, a little bit about science and more and more, and they grow. And that's how it is with this Bible. If you've been saved one year, I would, I would advise you, don't, don't keep running to Revelations. Yeah, if you want to read it, go ahead. You're not going to get much out of Revelations. What you need to do is hang around John and the Philippians 
and the book of Psalms, those books that talk to your heart. Job, why don't you hang out there for a while? You know, honestly, when I get, when I get to those dry spells, preacher, and I, my, my reading is not feeding me, I don't know if my mind is not engaged or what's happening, I've got a few places of refuge I can go to in the Bible that I know will feel my, feed my soul. I'll hang out there for several weeks if I have to. There's no commandment in the Bible. Thou shalt read the book of Genesis first and start in chapter 1 and go straight through the Bible all the way. It's not in the Bible. It just says read the Bible. So any part of it that you read is going to be good. Whatever speaks to your heart. If you've been saved a year, you need to be hanging out in those places that speak to your soul and help you. It's precious. Every time you read it, you're going to be just like a kindergartner, and then you're going to read something, oh, I know that, but wow, I didn't know this. And even if you've been saved 20 years, 40 years, I've been saved over 60 years. And, uh, and that's kind of hard to do because I'm only 45 years old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I've read that Bible. I, I don't know. I don't count like my dad. My dad counted over 200 times. I, I don't know how many times I've read the Bible, but I've read it through many times for many years. And even just this week, I was excited. I saw something I never saw before. Just this week, two days ago, I showed it to Tim. I never thought he said, so I'm scared now. Every time I show him something that I learned, he said, won't you write a Baptist bread article? <laughs> so I better get busy. I need to get, get busy on that for him. Bless his heart. Um, I, Another idea that comes up in that text is it's proven. It's purified. It's not only precious as silver, it's purified seven times. It's an amazing thing how the Lord works. It's perfect. It's proven. And it's precious. I want to just give you a, a couple, three things on why we can trust our Bible. And we could spend all night talking about it. This Bible is an unusual book in that it's probably the only book, I, I don't know of any other book in the world, that testifies of itself as being the Word of God. Now, a Muslim, they're going to read the Koran. Koran is, is the biggest farce, the craziest joke book you ever could read in your life. It says, in the morning, you must blow your nose three times to get the devil out of your nostrils before you pray. That's what they believe. So I don't know, does, does Muslim do that when they get up every morning, blow their nose? I don't know if I blow my nose every morning before I read the Bible. I don't think the devil resides in my nose. He gets in my head once in a while. <laughs> and uh, this, they, had, they have a Koran... There's a passage in the Quran that said that God was so mad at the Jews, he turned them into monkeys. It's it's nonsense. When they they say stuff like that, there's so much that's not true, and it's obviously not true. How could anybody follow that? I'll never understand why a woman wants anything to do with the Muslim. Because a a woman is treated like a goat or a monkey. (laughs) I mean, you're just a piece of property. They have no respect for women whatsoever. When George Bush commissioned our troops to go to Afghanistan in 2003, was that when it was? No. I can't remember what year it was. It might have been, that was after 9-11, yeah. 
I think it was 2003, it was like March or something. He sent our troops to Afghanistan. And I just got on the phone and looked up Wikipedia or one of these things. I was researching Afghanistan, what's it like over there? 97% illiterate. Only three out of 100 could read a book in, in Afghanistan. This probably hasn't changed a whole lot now the Taliban has taken back over. How do they trust that? And yet they'll die. They'll strap a vest full of bombs and walk into a pizza joint and blow everybody up because of the Koran. Oh, my word. i got to be crazy. Oh, boy, a joke just flooded through my head. I'm not going to tell it. I'll, I'll save it. Oh, I'm so full of foolishness, it's ridiculous, but trying to be straight here, but the Bible repeatedly testifies of itself as being the word of God. It is the word of God, and it's given to us, and it's absolutely true. You know, when you get saved, you, you are confessing Christ as your Savior, but you're also, and you're putting your faith and trust in his finished work of Calvary, but you're also putting your faith and trust in the Bible. And it's one of the dumbest things you'll ever hear. Well, I, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe in no Bible. <laughs> you realize how dumb that is? Where did you even hear about God? The bluebirds, did they tell you? Or the squirrels chirping? No. The only, only way, the only means we have of knowing anything about God is right here in the book. So if you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe in God. If you don't believe the Bible, you can't be saved. We're born again by not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, which is the, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's how we're saved, is through that book. That's where the message is. When it talks about preaching the gospel, preaching the faith, that's the message. The message of truth, the message about heaven, the message about sin, about redemption. So you can't have one without the other. The Bible has an unusual origin. It, it came to us through divine inspiration. Uh, Lord willing, if, he, if the Lord allows me, I want to do Sunday morning, give the history of the English Bible in 35 minutes. I'll, it can be done. I don't know if I can do it or not, but it can, it can be done. It's only 231 years of history, but we'll cram it in. But one of the things that I have to spend time on usually is um, the doctrine of inspiration. We don't know where heaven's throne is. The sun is 93 million miles away, okay? That's what they tell me. They tell me it takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to get to earth, traveling at speed of light or whatever. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand all that stuff. I didn't go that far in education. I got what I thought I needed, and I'm getting by. So, and yeah, But that's just the sun. That's just our galaxy. When I was in school, we only had 16 galaxies. Now we've got... Infinite number of galaxies. I mean, we had nine planets back then, too. Poor Pluto. I don't like what they've done to Pluto. I'd like to get me a sign that said, Pluto is real. <laughs> Who gave them the authority to change a planet that's the farthest? I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of cowardly, if you ask me. They're so far away. Pluto probably is never going to show up. And uh, whatever. But where is God? He's way, way, way beyond our sun and our galaxy. He, who knows? 
how many millions or trillions of light years away God's throne in heaven is. I have no idea. And yet here's what he did. He singled out this planet. This is the only planet that has life, human life on it. That's it. NASA has wasted a lot of time and money uh, uh, trying to find human life. That was one of their goals, by the way. They're trying to find life on those planets. It's stated right in their mission statement. It's what they said. But they've given us cell phones, GPS. I like that kind of stuff. It's kind of neat, you know. They gave us Tang. Hey, hallelujah. <laughs> I don't drink it anymore. But, but, but uh, they're looking for life out there. Well, I, I, with one verse in the Bible, I can prove to you there's no life anywhere else except right here. It's John 3.16. He gave his only begotten son to this planet right here. So the rest of those planets, if there, are, if there is life out there, there are going to be without a redeemer. Ah, so that kind of answers that. That's, that's, my, that's my thinking, at least. Uh, let's move along here. So it's divinely inspired. God spoke, and what, as Baptists, what we were taught, that our, the Bible was given by divine inspiration. We have a real fancy $64 word called plenary verbal inspiration. Which means that God gave the, his word, word for word. He didn't give a concept. He didn't say one day, hey Moses, do you ever think about how this world was made? You know, I created it. Why don't you pick up and write me a Baptist bread article on that there in Genesis? <laughs> you know, uh, you know he, didn't, he didn't leave that to Moses to write down his concept. What he th- no. Uh, now, the American Bible Society, they had this uh, new method of translating called dynamic equivalency, and that is what they do. They take a Bible, and they will take a, a thought and a concept, and they try to interpret that, put that into their words just to get the, the word across to another language group. I don't, I don't follow that. We don't do that. Uh, a lot of our time spent in printing other languages and scriptures, we have to talk to lots and lots of missionaries that we trust. And we had an awful time coming down with this Farsi that we're trying to print, a Farsi. It took us months and months to finally get the people that spoke that language, the missionaries that are going to work with those language groups, to finally agree on what translation. Because we don't like to do anything after 1880. That's when Tischendorf came along. He was a good-for-nothing. He built monuments unto himself. So we, we go far back. And, you know, man, people, some people don't like it. You know, hey, it's a free country. Go buy your own printing press, amen? <laughs> do what you want to do. But I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, anyhow, in that Bible, there's no contradictions. There's a harmony. It has the same message all the way through it. You know, uh, these teachers that teach in these colleges and universities and even high schools, they teach a subject called history. It's very doubtful they even know what history means. It's a compound word. It's his story. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. Today is April 28th, 2023, because it goes back to the time Jesus was born. So history, in, modern, in this modern world, history revolves around Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's just, it's just amazing to me. Well, it's all about him. It's about, all about a king and his kingdom, basically.
There's such a thing as preservation. God says right there, thou shall keep them alert, thou shall preserve them from this generation forever. So we have inspiration. Would it be a foolish thing? And some of these Bible scholars and teachers think that you can, you can, uh, we don't have the original, so we don't have the inspired Bible. How crazy. That is just crazy. Why would God, on heaven's throne, who knows how many light years away, single out this planet and those 40 plus writers on three different continents, 1500 years apart? How would, why would he go to all that trouble just to let his word be absorbed into history and disappear? Well, that's dumb. So it's a miracle of inspiration, but there's also the miracle of preservation. And that's it. And that's why we have what we feel is the absolute, infallible, inerrant word of God right here in our laps, this King James Bible. So how does God preserve his word? It's not through local church Bible publishers. Yeah, that's all we print in English is the King James Bible. The authentic King James Bible, by the way. So, but, but we're not, we aren't, I mean, we just do our part. You know how God preserves his word? I'll tell you how he does it. This brother and his wife, they read it, they believe it, they teach it to their young ones, and their young ones grow up, and they grasp it, they read it, they believe it, they teach it to their young ones, they just keep passing the truth along, passing on the reality of the inspired word of God. And then when error shows up, they spot it in a heartbeat. Just like these guys that study, you know, that spot phony $100 bills and $20 bills, they, they see these counterfeits, you know how they do it? They say they study the real $20 bill and they can spot a phony as soon as it shows up. Doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, doesn't, it's not a 20, it's not real. That's what it is with our Bible. Uh, if you've gone to a church or even listened on the radio and someone reads some scripture, and I mean, there's some good people out there, they're just mixed up. They, they use these other Bibles, and it's too bad. They're, they're, they got a hang-up. they got a problem. They think that, well, you know, we need to help people. No. There, there were tests that were run. This King James Bible is written at a sixth-grade reading level, and the NIV is written at an eighth-grade reading level. It's actually got more confusion in it than, than they can even imagine. Of course, it's missing 17 verses. Those are the 17 verses in the NIV that I memorized, by the way, the ones that are missing. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, they have a word called satrap. Now, anybody in here that's under the age of 12 can tell me what a satrap is? Anyone in here above the age of 12 that knows what a satrap is? That's their word in the NIV for servant. Well, that was brilliant. Put that in there. Yeah, it makes you wonder, why, why, why would they do that? So there's preservation, and we preserve it by teaching it, by reading it, by believing it. That's how it's passed down from generation to generation. You folks are responsible for preserving the Word of God. I believe that with all my heart. There's, there's scientific accuracy in our Bible. It talks about the circle of the earth long before men knew that the earth was round. I've never seen anything in the Bible says that earth was flat. I hope we don't have any flat earthers in here, but they, hey, they abound there all over the place, even in Baptist churches. The Bible says he hung the world upon nothing. That's the gravitational forces. God put that all together. That scientific accuracy was in this King James Bible long before they even discovered it in science. There's multiple fulfilled prophecies in this Bible. 
uh, especially with the Jewish nation. Probably the greatest proof, uh, living proof of the Bible for, for us, one of the greatest living proofs is the existence of the Jews. How, how in the world could they still be around? It's because God gave them a promise. And he told them, you're going to be here forever and ever. I want to have your son's going to sit on the throne. And he is, of course, Jesus. But he made promises to Abraham. He gave them a land, and there they are. They're back in their land. And they're still around. You say, well, that, what's the big deal? It's just an ancient people that's still, okay. You ever heard of the Hittites? You people that play guitar, where's that Australian brother that plays the guitar? The Hittites gave us the six-string guitar. I have a preacher friend in New York. He wouldn't let anybody play that guitar in his church. I ain't going to let that heathen pagan machine instrument play in my church. I said, you send those guitar pickers to my church, buddy. I'll use them. <laughs> I could care less. You know, they can get, you know, guitars can get converted just like a banjo or a, a drum. But, but anyhow, the Hittites were one of the earliest of world empires. They controlled all of Asia Minor, all of that area. That's where the Hittites dwelt. And nobody messed with them. Now, do you guys, anybody here know a Hittite? <laughs> Got one as a neighbor? Some of you work with? No. They're all gone, aren't they? Because God didn't make any promises to them. No Hittites, no Canaanites, Jebusites, Amalekites, this kite, that kite, mosquito bites, Tim used to say. That's the only one we still have is mosquito bites. But They're all gone. How in the world did that happen? Because God said in his word, he would preserve that Jew. He made promises to them. You know, they were taken into captivity. They were marched handcuffed 700 miles from, from Jerusalem over to Damascus and further on. where they took That's just where they wound up. And then uh, during the times of the Medes and the Persians, they had a, their empire was a, composed of 126 provinces. Remember all that stuff? It's in there. It talks about it when Daniel was present over all of them. 126 provinces, and they scattered from all across Asia there. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of miles apart. So when the Jews came marching into town, they said, okay, this guy, I heard he's a carpenter. He's real craft, crafty. So look, we need, we need him to be building furniture for some of the wealthy folks, the captains and the nobles and these Lord of hosts, and even the king and some of the princes, they could use some nice furniture. So they took him, and they sent him away to work in a cabinet shop. But his wife was a seamstress, so they'd send her to another province, and she'd work down here, and she'd sew dresses and make really nice clothes. They took the boy because he had a strong back. They put him up in the fields in the north where he could plow all day long and never get done. And they took the little girl. She was only about 12 years old. She couldn't do much of anything, so they just put her in the, the home of one of the leaders, like Naaman's house, just a little girl, 12, 13 years old, never to see her mother again, never to see her daddy, never to see her brothers, never to see anybody that she knew, that she grew up with back in Israel. And there she is working. She takes care of the mistress's clothes, helps her get dressed, makes her bed, helps her get bath water, takes her to breakfast, makes sure she's got food. Day after day is what she does. I'll tell you what, if I'd have been that 12-year-old girl with my mentality, and they told me that Naaman was sick with leprosy, I'd have said, good enough, die, dog, die. <laughs> she didn't do that. Why? Because she had hope in her heart. She said, you know, if you could get him to the, to the prophet, the old prophet could save his life, work a miracle. 
what those little Israel kids were taught as they grew up. They were taught Old Testament truth, such as in Isaiah 40. It says, the grass withereth, but the fla- and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. All those promises that God made, they'll stand forever. You can trust those, boys and girls, little kids, children. You can trust what mom and dad says. God's going to keep his promises. He's going to take us back. He's going to put us back. We got to live for God. We got to tell the truth. We got to be right. We got to do right, think right, act right, dress right. We got to do right. We're children of God. We follow God Almighty. And He's going to keep His promises. So let's live and be true for Him. That's why that little girl could say, you know, if Mr. Naaman could get over there to Israel, he could see the man of God. He could get healed. That's why she didn't get bitter. Ain't that amazing? How, how in the world? <laughs> How do they do that? Because they trust it, the word of God. And that's my message tonight. You can trust it too. We got, we got way more promises than they had. They just had a handful. We got all kinds of promises, a whole New Testament full of promises. The Jewish people, they, they, prove, they prove that the Bible's true. I have one more piece of evidence, and that's probably the most meaningful reason why we can trust our Bible is because it still has power to change lives. Yes. Hebrews 4 talks about the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even into the uh, part of the, some, uh, something in my heart. I, I, should have, I should have memorized that one better, I guess. I'll, I'll excuse myself. I'm, I'm almost, almost 70. When I had my birthday last year, I turned 69. I was so happy I wasn't 70. So Tim calls me and says, Welcome to your 70th year. I said, I'm not 70. He said, You're not 69 anymore. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll tell you what, what a, what a killjoy. Amen. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. You gotta love him. Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, um, I was at a meeting in Mississippi about 20 years ago, and the um, pastor there had a friend who was a, a pastor in uh, Ireland. And he flew this guy over there to preach uh, a series on Isaiah 53. I never heard anything like it. He preached every day in the morning session on Isaiah 53. I took so many notes, I wrote them down, this amazing stuff that he brought up. And I don't know, he, he, maybe you've heard of Victor Maxwell. It's the first time I've ever met of him. Never heard of him before. Never met him or heard of him since. But he made an impression on me. He was a real student. Well, everybody just surrounded him after the sermons. You couldn't get close to him. They had so many questions about his teachings and about the Bible and about Ireland and who knows what all. But uh, I always had, at meetings, big meetings, like I go back and I tend to my table, sell books and Bibles. I'm always the last one to get lunch. So it's a camp meeting. And they feel like, I got my way over to the dining area. I sat at the table, had me a hand, hamburger, a hot dog. I don't know which thing, what I got. Some of these camp meetings feed, feed you real good. Some of them, not so good. But I'll, have, I'll give you a list if you want to know. <laughs> Some of you can actually go and get turnip grains, collards, black-eyed peas, limas, Tenderloins for breakfast, yeah. yeah. I'm just a hint, just a hint. Tenderloin. So, so 
I'm sitting there, and here comes Brother Maxwell. The place was almost empty. He said, can I sit here, brother? I said, sure. It's not a very good Irish accent, but he sat there. And he talked to me about our, our Bibles. He, he really liked them. He looked at them and smelled them. Everybody likes to smell our Bibles. So we talked about that. I said, you know what? One of the things I look for, uh, I preach about the Bible all the time. I'm always looking for stories, illustrations of how the Bible has affected people, either communities or an individual. And he just beamed. His smile came alive. His eyes raised. I got one for you. And he told me this story, and I'll be done. There in Ireland, there on the western shore, is a place called Eccle Island. Eccle Island uh, is a kind of a tourist place. Uh, the people over there in Europe, they don't take vacations. They go on holiday. The difference is a vacation is two weeks. Holiday, two months, three months, six months. I, they're a lot longer. They, I, they, I don't know how they do it. But over here we have bills to pay. So... <laughs> So anyhow, this guy would go over there, this, this little uh, Christian man, he would go over there to that island every summertime and spend walking around, passing out gospel tracts, witnessing, talking, friendly fellow. He's just one of those outgoing people. And shortly after he was there, on his early trips, he discovered uh, this man that was very loud. <laughs> um, he, he was a drunk but he spoke real loud. He smoked. He usually had bad language. He didn't go to Sunday school. Um, he cursed a lot. But this Christian man said, I want to get the gospel to him. He just stood out like a sore thumb. And so he would say, hey, I want to give you the story of Jesus and how you can be saved. And he laughed and ripped it up and threw it down and went on cursing. But day after day after day, and the man was praying. He said, God, I want to get to this man. So he kept passing out gospel tracts. Well, finally, it came time for him to leave, go back to the mainland, and to probably earn some money and pay his bills. I don't know. But he, he ran into that, that drunk. He just, everybody knew he was a drunk. He found out that he was a captain of a small ship that he scuttled out into the Atlantic. And I, I think that what he did was go out and pick up garbage from the cruise ships that came by, and then he would haul it back to get rid of the garbage and the trash for them on a pretty good-sized boat. And uh, that was his job. He had some connection with the cruise people. So anyhow, this Christian man said, you know, you would not receive my gospel tracts. He wouldn't keep them. But he said, I have something else for you. He took out a New Testament and just stuck it in his pocket right there. He said, now that, my friend, is the word of God. You need to reverence it. Do not throw it away. Do not discard it. That's the Bible. And uh, so he bid him farewell, went back to his place, and sure enough, a few days later, the old drunk got on a ship, started making his way out with his crew to, the, to meet the cruise ships out there. And um, on their way back, the storm got pretty raging, high waves, and everybody was real tense, but they got through it, and finally the water calmed back down. And so when it did, this man reached in his pocket to get a cigarette. Only he didn't find a cigarette. He found the New Testament. He got so mad, he just threw it to the deck of that ship. And then those words struck his conscience. That man said, that's the word of God. You need to reverence it and fear it. He said, for some reason, he reached down and picked it up, put it in his pocket. Looked elsewhere for a cigarette. But he said he went to bed that night. 
he laid there wondering, why in the world did I bother picking up that Bible? I don't believe the Bible. I don't read a Bible. What do I need it for? So he picked it out of his pocket and he started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, as he continued to read. Uh, for days and days and days, he discovered that God had a son that he sent to this earth to die on a cross to redeem us and that we're all sinners. And if a man should confess with his mouth and believe in his heart to the Lord Jesus, he can be saved. And he finally gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He got saved because of a Bible. That's all he had. Well, he cleaned his act up, poured his liquor out. He quit smoking. He quit cursing. By the way, that's what you do if you get saved. Amen. Uh, Amen. I know some Christians that claim they are Christians, but they didn't go to Sunday school. They need their mouth washed out with soap, you know. But uh, he cleaned his act up. And then he started telling others what happened to him. And he went to the little lodging place where that Christian man would come and visit and stay. He said, when's he coming back? When's he coming back? And the guy said, well, he usually comes at this part of the year. And he gave him the dates. And sure enough, the Christian showed up and he told the story. And so the men that knew him well, they said, you know, you're not drinking. You're not cursing. You're, not, you don't, you're, you're a better man now. You've got better character. He said, we will all stand as a character witness for you. Why don't you try to go back? Because before he was like this, he was a sea captain on the cruise ship. He was the captain on the cruise ship. But because of his drinking and his brawling, his cursing, his rudeness, he lost his job, which made him drink more. He lost his family. He left his wife and his little girl and moved out there to that island just to be remote and get away from everybody. God found him. God found him. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm going somewhere with this. God found him. They, they said, go, go to London. And he did. He applied to this cruise line, this cruise line, the other cruise line. And while he was going in and out of those offices, um, taking interviews and doing all kinds of character background checks, all this stuff. While in the meantime, when he have to wait for the next appointment, he's out passing out gospel tracts, trying to give his testimony out there on the sidewalk. And there was a lady walking along with her, her little girl. And she stopped and her daughter said, Mommy, come on, let's go, let's go. Why are you looking at that man? She said, Honey, just wait a minute. That looks like your daddy over there. It sounds a, little, sounds a lot like your daddy over there. And she's kept looking at him and finally their, their eyes met. And he came over and told her what happened. So God's word saved this man, put him back on as a captain on a cruise ship, put his life back together, put his home back together. That's what God's word can do. It's a powerful book. It's still effective. I'm, I'm saying all that to say this. Don't ever stop praying for your loved ones. Don't ever stop praying and waiting on God to deal with your lost loved ones. Try to get a little bit of Bible injected. If they, if they at least take a gospel track. Maybe they'll even take a New Testament. But let them know that you still care. Let them know that God still loves them. One thing that I learned from my dad, I learned a lot of things from my dad, but one of the most powerful lessons he ever taught me was love never fails. That's a Bible truth. Love never fails. You got wayward children, keep loving them. They ought not have in their heart one moment's doubt that you love them. I have two boys. They're both adopted. Both of them got away from God, but we just kept loving them. I didn't condone the way they were living. I never stopped loving them, and they knew that. They knew their mom and dad loved them. 
they're both in church now serving God and excited. My oldest boy, he got right with God about 10 years ago. And he challenged his little brother last year when we were over at Hendersonville. And my wife was in the hospital. My boys came in because we thought she was going. They thought she was going to heaven then, but... Jake spent some time talking to his little brother. He said, Jake, let me, Jesse, let me tell you what I did. He said, I promised God I'd go to church from now to the end of the year. He said, if things didn't change, then I'd, I'd just give up on it. But he said, things changed right, right away. And he said, Jesse, I'm just going to lay this challenge out before you. Go to church. Go every Sunday. Make sure you put God first in your life and in your home. <laughs> Jake told me today... He told me the day that Jesse called him a week or so ago. And Jake asked him, are you going to church? He said, Jake, it's unbelievable what God's done in my home and my life. His wife was saved. He's now the number one salesman in a national company nationwide. He's the number one salesman. Uh, he gives God the glory for it. Tell you what, you got a book. It's powerful. It's powerful. It can reach those loved ones. Lord, help us for Jesus' sake. Now, this is a missions conference. This brother's going to go and preach. He's going to preach the word. He's going to preach a gospel message that he gets out of this Bible. Lord, help us to help him. But help us around here also in our place, our neighborhood, our workplace, our family circle. God, to lift that book up. Help us to make sure that our loved ones know that we love them and let them know that we believe a Bible. God, touch hearts for Jesus' sake. I ask it in thy name. Amen.